What's up, everyone? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the ND Hackers podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How do they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions, both at their companies and in their personal lives, and what makes their businesses tick? And the goal here, as always, is so that all of us can learn to build our own online businesses. Today, I'm talking to Christy Lawrence, the creator of an online software business called Plan. Christy, welcome to the ND Hackers podcast. And thank you so much for joining me. Good morning. Good morning. No problem. It's great to be here. It's great to be here interviewing you as well. You are full of energy. It's like 8.30 there in Sydney. I am approaching the end of the day in San Francisco. (laughs) I'm one of those really annoying, annoying people that wakes up at stupid o'clock to start work. So uh... You're going to have to keep me awake. (laughs) So let's talk about plan. I actually didn't know very much about your business at all until I sat down to prepare for this interview. I won't judge you. (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, Somehow you've flown completely under my radar. I think probably because I'm barely on Instagram at all. But after looking at what you've done, I think everything you're doing and what you've achieved is amazing. So tell us a little bit about Plan. What is it? Why do people use it? And how was it that you ended up building this business? I'm going to go reverse order of those questions. So the reason that I built it was that I was working in corporate advertising and I am an illustrator. I love to come home and I would illustrate at night and I started to put my work on Instagram and I started to make a little bit of money and I was like, oh, there's something in here. And my friends would ask me, what are you doing? And I started consulting and I started, that kind of started to take over my life a little bit. And then I actually got the flu and the flu virus went into my brain And it destroyed my vestibular function. So I lost the use of my balance and I couldn't see. And my my entire mobility was pretty much gone for like a year. Wow. So yeah, it was pretty horrible. I fell down a flight of stairs and cracked my kneecaps. And that was when I was like, okay, Christy, you're probably going to have to be at home and look after yourself now. Yeah. (laughs) But I was always one of those high achievers. So I continued to just kind of be at home and paint and draw to get me through, you know, being immobile and the depression that comes with that. So I put my work on Instagram and then I was like, oh, I can, you know, subsidize the income that I'm now losing. And I started making even more money doing that than my, from my other job. And again, my friends would say, you know, what are you doing? How are you doing it? And for me, I felt it was obvious because Instagram, it's a storytelling technique. It's not about putting your work out into the world and saying, hey, buy my stuff. It's a really beautiful visual way of of really uh, communicating with other people about your story and you take them on this journey where you inspire and you educate and, and people just, they didn't really, couldn't grasp it. And so I wanted to be able to teach people that and the best way to scale my time was to build an app. I sat on the floor and I wireframed it up and I was like, you know what, I'm going to make it. Can you give us a sense I want to ask you about that entire story and walk through that in slow motion, but can you give us a sense, uh, just for some <laughs> yeah. context of uh, how successful is planned today in terms of revenue and customers? And yeah, what does it do exactly? Okay, cool. So what plan is, it's an Instagram planning, scheduling, and analytics tool. And it teaches people how to generate leads to make money and build successful businesses using Instagram. And that's really it in a nutshell. It's really beautiful design. That's really simple, but it's a really like a more intuitive teaching way. So organically, uh, without any marketing spend, we got over half a million downloads. And I've just started to put some spend, so we're starting to grow really, really fast now. So we're at like 650,000 downloads in 120 countries. It's profitable within, you know, its first year. It was making over a million annual revenue. 
Um, and now we're underway building, about to launch actually our web app so that instead of it being so B2C focused, it now becomes more B2B and enterprise. And we can move and really, what, what I'm trying to do is, is grow with our users. So as their businesses grow and they need more team members and they need more features, I can offer that to them on desktop. So this is a mobile app that you've built that mm-hmm. people are paying for and you reached a million dollars in revenue in your first year. Correct. And you guys haven't raised any money at all from investors, is that no, right? No, I am. The cap table looks like Christy, 100% ordinary shares. <laughs> wow. See, this is why I was shocked yeah. that I hadn't heard anything about your business. And then I started reading about it and I'm like, whoa, holy shit, where did this come from? <laughs> well, I've been flying under the radar. A lot of like head down, just work. So I want to talk to you a minute about yourself. I want to know exactly what kind of person is capable of starting a tech business from scratch and bootstrapping it to millions of dollars in revenue in just a few years. Uh, what all did you know so, about entrepreneurship and tech and code before you started? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. Um, so my, I come from an entrepreneurial family. So, I mean, I was that girl that stole grapefruit from the neighbors and sold them and around the block. Like I was always doing that type of thing. Uh, I was super nerdy. So, you know, I knew how to build WordPress websites and things, but I didn't really have any tech background. I didn't know what on earth I was doing. <laughs> and so what I did is I... I had worked in marketing and digital agencies. So I understood the concept of wireframing. So I drew out my wireframes and thought, okay, so how do I actually get this built? I have no idea. I don't have any friends and I actually don't know anyone who's built an app before. So, you know, you jump online, you do a bit of reading and I watched YouTube until my eyes popped out of my head. And the first thing I really learned was you you cannot You cannot keep your idea a secret. The more people you tell, the more help that you're going to get. And if it's a good idea, you just have to suck it up that it's going to get stolen. And it's all about the execution. So that was kind of the first piece of acceptance for me. And I jumped on Upwork and I threw out these wireframes to these overseas app developers and said, what do you think and how much would this take for you to make? And how much would it cost me? Because I didn't know anything. I thought an app was like $5,000. I didn't know anything. And they'd come back and be like, hey, Christy, it's missing X, Y, and Z. And I'd be like, perfect, that's my next iteration. And then I'd iterate and send it back and then send it out to some new people. And then by the time I had a product that I could actually get a quote from, I was in a pretty good space. And I'd been able to, in the meantime, teach myself UI, UX, and create the app myself. And then I came, because I'm in Sydney, I hustled around a whole bunch of Sydney web and app agencies and said, look, I have this great background in marketing. I can, how about if I do your marketing and your client's marketing, you teach me how to build an app and also coach me on how to become a CTO. And I hustled a bit and one person said yes. So that was how I built my MVP. Yeah, that's, that's nuts because I think most people who <laughs> don't know how to code, who've never started a tech business before, don't exactly feel confident about just taking the plunge and saying, I'm going to get it done however uh, I can't. I'm going to scrap and I'm going to talk to people and I'm going to trade people <laughs> favors for help. How did you get that confidence? Why did you think this is something that you could do? I am just wildly optimistic. I, think. Um, I am like I have a lot of trust in my ability and I understand that I am a, uh, a quick learner. I learn fast and I can learn and adapt very quickly. So I was very comfortable in my skill set that whatever I put my mind to, I'm able to do it. I played elite sports as a child um, I'd always been highly career driven and I was always uh, really disciplined in my approach. I felt confident in my ability that I was going to be able to do it. Wildly optimistic. And I, I wonder how yes. much your, your previous entrepreneurship experience plays into things. You mentioned that before you started Plan, before you did any of this, you were an illustrator. 
Mm, so I had a webcomic for a while and taught myself like how to run and manage a website. And when I was working my day job, I would, I'm like, seriously, I love learning. So I would teach myself SEO. I did night schools when I come home on anything that I could. I just love learning. So I knew that one day I was going to have my own business. I knew it. So I went and did all these online courses. I probably did like 10 Instagram courses, but just because I wanted to see if everyone else knew what I knew. (laughs) (laughs) And then with SEO, I was like, well, the best way to drive organic traffic for free is SEO. So now we get over a million um, page views to our website a month from my knowledge from learning while I was still working. So it's, it's all kind of pieced together. That's awesome because I don't often talk to people who go out of their way to specifically take courses and sit down and say, I'm mm. going to learn this particular skill. I'm going to learn that particular skill. Usually it's more organic. They learn it indirectly from a job they have, or they just throw caution to the wind, get started, and learn it as they go. Mm. So like SEO then came with SEO copywriting, and then there was a whole big pieces, and then you learn how to optimize, and then you learn how to you know, keep people and reduce bounce rates. And it all just, you just keep learning, and you realize Pandora's box is open. There's just so much that you didn't know. How do you balance learning and actually doing things in the early days? Because I know it can be frustrating to spend a lot of time learning, but your app isn't really getting anywhere. Or to spend a lot of time building, but you don't really know what you're doing because you're not mm-hmm. taking the time to learn. How did you balance those two things? Um, it was really what do I need to know right now and then everything else and just push away. So it's really that dis- for me, it was coming down to discipline because you can like literally in a startup – you can work all day and not be working on the right thing. So for me, it's, you know, what what do I need to do today? And for, for me personally in my bootstrap business, I would have to get up and say to myself, Christy, what are you going to do today that's going to make money? And then I would only focus on that. And everything else just got pushed. Okay, so let's talk first about your illustrator business on Instagram. You're selling art <laughs> on Instagram. How does one do that? How do you get followers? How do you get people to buy uh, what was the process like there? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, well, it's about being human. People, people know that on Instagram you're communicating with other humans and you're telling, teaching people. So for me, for example, there's a bunch of different themes that I understood worked well. So being vulnerable, educating, inspira- like being inspirational, and then you know saying this is available. So the way that that looks in illustrating, you'd be like, hey, um, I'm experimenting with water- watercolor and this and that. Here's where I want to make this and then you tell people about the journey or the tools you use and make jokes like I'm a bit of crazy so people you know they find you based on the image but they stay for the captions so you you really have to inject some personality you've got a billion people you're competing with while you're telling the story and that's again why I made plan because it's you can just it's got a strategy tool where you can actually create the themes you want to talk about so you know what you need to post next for to to create that whole well-rounded story and I think that's why we've won four product awards in the last year for that particular unique piece. And what was the story like here? Like, how did you go from being an illustrator with zero followers on Instagram to getting your first follower, to getting your first hundred followers, to getting, I don't know, how big did your Instagram account get? Oh, no, just like a couple of thousand. But I mean, the thing with Instagram is that you don't need to have twenty to 30,000 followers or more to be able to make money. It was understanding that the better your engagement rate is and the more people that that feel you as an influence in their life or when they're wanting to buy. or So I kind of specialize in fashion illustration and it's quite like, it's very specific. I, I have a very specific like line drawing minimalistic look. And people that were drawn to that were drawn to that. I didn't, you know, do an elephant and then a wine bottle. And then it it was always very 
it was the same thing. So people knew what to expect and I was consistently posting, showing behind the scenes and then showing about how like that, that kind of all merged together to build why I was building this account and that you just organically grow friends from doing that. And, and I think the biggest thing for me to teach people about Instagram is that it's being social on social media is so important. And if you can change your mindset to, I need customers too, I need to make friends, it'll change the whole way that you interact with people. One thing you mentioned earlier is that you realized that telling stories, connecting with people, and having these themes around being vulnerable and educational is really important for selling on Instagram. And I bet you a lot of people are trying to sell on Instagram and trying to grow their followers there, and they don't think this way. How did you learn this stuff? And what is it about you that allowed you to be so successful here where others were not? I think that for me personally, like I'm a very visual person. Instagram, your follow button, like if someone's going having a look at your Instagram gallery, that follow button is right at the top of your gallery. So someone comes in, they've got, you know, they might scroll through your feed one or two swipes and they need to see within those like two seconds what you're about and what you do. And if you haven't been able to articulate that and match your bio, they're not going to follow you, therefore not become part of your lead generation funnel. Yeah, I bet you very few people on Instagram are thinking this way. (laughs) Exactly. So the way that my mind works is quite analytical, very marketing structured, very strategy focused, but I'm also highly creative. So I was able to kind of put the two together very easily. It came very natural to me. And what was your life like at the time? Were you working? Were you at home without a job? I mean, was this 100% of what your focus was on or were you doing this on the side? So what I was doing, um, so when I, I had kind of the idea when I was still in corporate, And when I left that to focus on my health, I was consulting for, I was doing SEO, blog writing and consulting and building websites. And I did some illustrations for Red Bull. Like I was just doing anything I could to survive. And then one day, well, the idea for Plan the app was kind of just floating around in my head and it just kept waking me up at night. And I remember having this epiphany one day, I was walking around like buying a wine decanter in a shop. (laughs) It was very random. And I was like, Christy, You've always wanted a product. You've always wanted to build something that wasn't service orientated. Here's your idea. Go. If it's going to get made, like this is a good idea. Why can't that be you? And that was the day I was like, I'm all in. I'm I'm gone. And at the time, yeah, I was at home full time. And then that's when I started hustling to get somebody I would work for so that they would build the app. So then I would have to work full time hours and then go home and teach myself how to build an app and market it and do all my website stuff at night. So those hours between, you know, 6 and and 2 a.m. for me became very important. So you got a ton of options at the beginning of wanting to start any business. I mean, you've got to build the product. You've got to find customers. You might want to find a co-founder or teammates of some sort. You might want to validate the idea to make sure it's good. You might want to raise funding. There's a million things you can do. How did you decide what the first steps were going to be for you right after you decided to work on this app? Well, the funny thing is, because I had no tech experience, I didn't know that investment was even a thing. (laughs) Really? I had no idea. So I was just like, oh, I'm just going to build this app. And in my head, I'm like, okay, this is like running a business type thing. So I I didn't even know that investment existed. So I naturally asked my friends, hey, what do you think of this idea? And when they said, yeah, it's cool, I would ask, would you buy it? Now in retrofit, I know that I was doing user testing and, and product market fit. Now there's a name for it. Great. And then... After I had kind of started to build the product with the tech team, I started to then move that process to online and build friends. 
And like I said before, being social on social media, word quickly spread online what I was working on. And then I decided to niche down into female creative entrepreneurs because I felt like they were the ones that would relate to me the best and I could help them the most right now. So I found out who they related to, which now is obviously influencer marketing. And I would turn on post notifications of like maybe a hundred different influencers, mostly in the US, because I knew that whatever influencers in the US did, it would then filter through other countries. And then whenever these people posted, I would, no matter what time of the day or night, my poor husband, I would be awake messaging them. And it wouldn't be like, oh, this is great, bicep emoji. It was a real conversation that would make friends. So the day that I launched the app in the app store, I had 100 influencers talk about my product. And that first week, I made $10,000. And it was wow. enough for me to then fund my next month. That's that's crazy. I want to walk through all yeah. those steps because every one of those steps, I think there's something really insightful that you did that a lot of people might not understand how to do and want to hear more about. Step number one, you got a tech team to help you build this product. You didn't have any funding. <laughs> you didn't have any skills to actually code the product yourself. How did you go about getting a team to help you build your mobile app from scratch? Well, the first step is obviously understanding how an app is built and what language it is because you need to understand all the pieces of your business. So tech learning was huge. I had been working for free at a web and app agency. So these people had been building it and I'd been getting their help. But obviously because I didn't really know, I then asked a third party person to start reading the code and just make sure that everything was okay. And it wasn't someone that I trusted that I paid on the side to just check in. And that's how I managed that side. Okay, so I'm trying to get a clear picture of this. You're working for free for this agency. They've got programmers. You're drawing up wireframes. The programmers are, I guess, spending some percentage of their free time to build this for you. And then you're having other people check over their code to make sure that it's okay. Is that, is that Correct. everything? Correct. That's, that's exactly right. And how long did it take them before they actually had built something that was functional, that you were proud of, that worked? I was never proud of it. <laughs> The first MVP was horrible. Anyway, <laughs> every startup founder, if they don't say that, they launch too late. They, um, so after about 10 months and this third party, which I'm very pleased that I'd made that decision, looked at it and said, Christy, um, they've got four different people working on it. It's really not working that well. You're actually going to have to rebuild this. Wow. And so I had to go into work and say, hmm, <laughs> this isn't working. <laughs> And I had to leave that position and remove these people from Bitbucket and all the code. And then this was after it had been launched, so I had paying customers. And then walk away and then hustle as hard as I could for the next month while I was doing all the customer support, people were complaining about bugs, and I just had to be like, yeah, we're working on it. And in the background, like the swan, like trying to float gracefully and underneath the water is just piddling like crazy, trying to find a dev team to pick it up rebuild the app and relaunch it under the guise of an update on the app store a couple of months later. And this dev team, I take it you actually paid money because your app is generating revenue by this point. Correct. Okay, so that's yeah. <laughs> that's stressful. <laughs> it's, oh, oh my God. <laughs> it was the most stressful thing I've ever done. <laughs> was it? Would you say it's worth it to have gone that free route even though you had to replace the app eventually? Or do you think if you could have done it over again, you would have tried it differently? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I, there's a, in hindsight, there's a many things I would have done differently. I probably would have paid for it rather than work for free. Then I would have had more control over it rather than going, yeah, we'll get to it when we can. And I would have had real timelines rather than the bits and pieces. Um, I think it would have been cleaner 
And then like a bartering system, I know it can work, but I mean, if it goes on for 10 months, it can feel a bit, both sides can feel like it's not working out. So if I did that again, I'd probably do it in a different way. For me, like bootstrapping, like I said, was the only option. I'm a female solo founder with no tech experience. I'd never been in a startup before. I had no connections in the industry. I had an offshore dev team by this point. Like investment for me wasn't really an option. So I just, and I had already got that $10,000 in my first week. So I thought, you know what? If I just put my head down and I can get my product in front of more people and really help them and they can find success on Instagram, then, then I'm going to be okay. And so I just kept going. All right. So you got the app built. It's pretty shoddy. You're not that proud of it. It took 10 months, but you spent zero dollars and you got it built. You said the second step was that you moved online and that people heard about what you were doing and word spread. And this is before we even mm-hmm. we even launched. It's before you decided to pick a niche. How did you get word to spread about your app and what exactly did that look like? So one of the things inside my app, there's a workspace where you can drag and drop images so that you have a better control over that storytelling technique. Mm -hmm. And if you were in UI UX, you you would have told me, do not put your logo in this space because it's just taking up room. But the more you know about the people, your people, the more money you'll make. And that's something that I really, really, I say a lot to people. So for example, I decided to put my logo front and center in the workspace because social media comes with a bit of anxiety and people get a bit worried. And does this look good? What do you think about this? Have I got the right filter? So what they would do is they would use the app and then they would take a screenshot and they'll send it to their friends or they'd post it in a Facebook group with say 80,000 people in it. Mm-hmm. So they were doing the work for me. And that's how it started to spread. And then because the product was working and, well, I'm now proud of the product, people would talk about it. And as, for example, I was in LA doing a workshop on how to take good photos of brunch. (laughs) When someone came up to me and told me about my own app. (laughs) Oh, wow. So I know. Yeah, it was amazing. So now. Christy, if you tried plan. Yeah, pretty much. Hey, oh, I've heard of this app that you can do like this drag and drop thing. It's called Plan. Have you heard of it? I was like, tell me more. What's your favorite feature? <laughs> <laughs> so this is so all... I knew that it was it was all organic. Well, this and then is after you launched, right? Yeah. What about what about before you launched? How did you get that that ten thousand dollars in your first week? I really want to understand like the process that you used because a lot of founders are nervous about their launch, and a lot of founders have mm-hmm. no idea how to get the word out about what they've built before they actually launch it. And it seems like you had an entire pre-launch game plan that was going on that involved influencers and picking a niche. That's exactly what was happening. So, I mean, this it was a 10 months. I had 10 months while this app was being built to focus on a pre-launch. So I was blogging. I was doing, you know, all the things that don't scale. Mm-hmm. That's what, so to scale, you've got to do things that don't scale. And it is so true. So building that community, that was hand-to-hand combat for months, like 10 months I was writing email newsletters, like helping people understand more about Instagram and talking about the algorithm and then that email would get forwarded on. So a lot of people come to me and they're like, oh, well, you know, I've only got 10 people on my email list. Like, why should I, why should I keep going? I'm like, well, I started with like two and Mm -hmm. I still sent out an email as if I was talking to a hundred and then it just grew and people would forward those emails. You don't know what, where those emails are going. If you're providing value to people, you can spread anywhere. So give me an example of like an email that you would send to people in these early days while the developer team is still building your app on the side. Quirky comments to make. Like, for example, how to respond to people on Instagram to get a high engagement rate. Why engagement rate matters over your follower or what's the best performing color palette 
for your niche versus your competitors or how to know what's working. Just really, really detailed, very actionable insights into how the platform works, which now we've turned into a blog where we post three of those a week. Yeah, that's super smart because the the tips that you're sharing are perfectly aligned with the audience that would benefit from using a product like Plan. And so you're building this audience that's actually going to want to become your future customers as opposed to they may or may not like it. It's exactly what they need. Yeah, it was always. So you have to really understand your person. So, I mean, a marketing background definitely helps with building out customer personas. So I had three customer personas that I would build, I drew out and had them on the wall. And if I was writing an Instagram post, I'd be like, hmm. And then I'd look at one of them called Kate and be like, what would Kate think about this post? And would Kate want to know about this? And that's how I would write all of my posts on Instagram. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about these customer personas because I imagine a lot of people have never heard of them and don't know how to use them or why. You had Kate and who else? <laughs> I can't remember their names exactly because they changed so much. But say Kate, Sophia, say for example. So Sophia was a stay-at-home mom that built, um, wanted a side business and she was selling homemade crafts on Etsy. And her husband could have been away or he worked really long hours, which gave her the extra time to focus on a business. So we would appeal to the human side of her. And Kate might have been a social media marketer who worked for herself and would manage up to five to seven different Instagram accounts for other people. So really understanding who was going to be using the tool and why that would be helpful for them and then tailoring content to suit their needs and to teach them was just a a huge focus of every channel. That's so effective and it's so smart to do that because it's so easy as a founder to just assume that people will be interested in the things that you write and people will like the features that you build. But unless you put a lot of deep thought into who your customers are, what their lives are like, what they care about, what they ignore, et cetera, then chances are that you'll be slightly off the mark. And so that just goes to show how helpful it was for you also to have a marketing background and to really know this stuff before you even started. Yeah, so I think for, if, if I could give any advice to those that don't have a marketing background and looking at doing personas, if you have a think about what you're building and the problem that you're solving and then go further and go, who am I solving this for? And a lot of people will say, I'm solving it for people like me, which is a fairly, like, it's a fairly common founder thing. So why can't you then pull apart you as a person and you could create yourself as the first persona? One of the things you said you had is that by the time you launched, you had 100 influencers talk about your product and week number one. How big was your email list by that time? No, it was tiny. It was tiny. I think I launched, I sent like one email and I had no time after that because I was so head down in customer support. I don't think I sent another email for six months. Wow. <laughs> well, how many people yeah. were, on, were on your email list by the time that you launched? Do you remember? Oh, a couple of thousand. It wasn't many. It was mostly word of mouth and then in Facebook. And then that first week I was really overwhelmed because I'd been working so hard and it was finally out. And then you realize that it's just beginning. Yeah. You realize that the app that you built actually needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. That too. Yeah. So that was really scary. Um, and then it just spread through Facebook groups. The people I was, I taught myself ASO. So that's App Store Optimization. So I understood the concept of creative testing and how to do descriptions. So that I was working on that behind the scenes. So I was optimizing. Basically, I'm a growth marketer, if you put it down to it. So I would be mm-hmm. doing all of the testing and all of the optimizing of the top of funnel and then the product funnel. And then and now I have a churn funnel as well to then optimize every single piece of all the different platforms to make sure they're all being tested. So I probably run like 15 to 20 tests at any time. Wow. And you were doing this right from the beginning or is this something you started doing recently? 
No, right from the beginning. That's my background. So I specialize in marketing. The specialization I did, it was called direct response. So it's about uh, action now and how to drive action now and then take that message, uh, keep optimizing it and then use creative to optimize it again. And you just rinse, repeat. So you'll never, (laughs) this always, things are always changing. Like for example, on my website, we have the download buttons. Some days, some one week we have them bright green. One week we make them orange. One week we have the word free. And then they change sizes. So it's it's just continually optimizing to make sure we have the best piece of creative running at any time. What's really cool about this whole story so far is that most of the people I talk to are developers. And that's usually seen <laughs> as an advantage because it's like you can build your own app and you don't have to pay for it. But in a way, because you weren't a developer, you had to get creative. And you kind of outsourced that part of your business for free, which gave you all this free time to do all the marketing work that developers Mm -hmm. typically tend to ignore. So I think it's really cool to see that. They do. They do ignore it. (laughs) We don't like marketing. (laughs) No. no. I know it's really funny, but it's just about getting out there and telling your story and getting it iterate how you talk about it. So when people do their first email funnel, so I'm at a point now where I now mentor on three startups, like programs, accelerator programs here in Australia. And then I've got a couple of uh, San Francisco startups that I actually write their copy and their sales for. So they'd come to me and say, here is my, um, my email funnel. And they'd get really upset when someone would respond and say, no, thanks, or, or give feedback. I'm like, no, no, this is brilliant because this tells you you can iterate and optimize and keep going. So then when you get down to like maybe the seventh or eighth version of the email series, one of them has um, like a 78% open rate and a 60% re- response rate. And they're like, how did you do this? And I'm like, well, you did it. I just helped you craft the test. Which of these two things do you think was more effective? Like if you had to only choose to do one of them, building a product that really targeted a specific customer and helped them with their problems or doing all of sort of the growth marketing techniques and tests and experiments that you were running? Well, to be honest, if I if I hadn't have done the marketing, then they would never have found the product to know it was any good. And then when they came into the product, like I said, I was embarrassed of it. So I was iterating there as fast as I could. So I would probably say the marketing is more important than the product at the very beginning. You know, I don't know what other answer I could have expected from a growth marketer. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about the time period after you launched Plan. What was the first thing Mm -hmm. that you you did after your app launched and you saw that you were going to make $10,000 a week? I opened a bowl of champagne and I sprayed it everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's life-changing stuff. That's huge. Oh, I was just like, I'd spent a year. So, you know, the idea I'd had for five months and then and it took 10 months to build. And then when I launched it, I knew that it needed to be rebuilt. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to celebrate this milestone. I got it out. I now am one of the 2 million people with an app in the app store. And I just opened a bottle of champagne and went crazy. And then I just head down because I think I'm one of those personality types that, you know, you climb the mountain and you're always looking for the next one. And sometimes I have to actually really force myself to stop and look backwards. What was motivating you at this point where you're like, I want to be a millionaire and I'm not stopping until this app is huge? Or, you know, what was keeping the fire going? <laughs> no, uh, the fire for me was I'd always had my own business. I'm sorry, I'd always wanted my own business, but I never had an idea. And I finally had it after like 10 years of just wanting one so bad. Um, I never wanted to go back to an office. I wanted to choose what time of the day I swim in the ocean. So I'm a big swimmer. And I love being in the ocean and I'd look out the window on a beautiful day and at, when I was at work and be like, oh, I wish I was at the beach. 
<laughs> wanted to choose when I was at the beach. Right, you want that freedom. And then if I wanted to open a bottle, yeah, it's mostly freedom and opening a bottle of wine when I wanted and, you know, going to, we're, I'm taking the team to Bali next week and we're going to go and work from Bali for a week. And you just need a laptop and Wi-Fi. So it was just that, that lifestyle of freedom. So it was never really about the millions and millions of dollars. It was about, you know, being successful and having a successful business, but really enjoying it. And yet, here you are today, making millions and millions of dollars. Um, what, is, <laughs> what does the business model look like? What does it mean when you say you made $10,000 in the first week? Is this people you know, making a one-off purchase? Yeah, so when I first started, the first six months were a one-off purchase because I needed the cash up front. Like I said, like bootstrapped, I needed the revenue as quickly as possible. And if you are going to choose a bootstrap route, you need to know how your business is going to make revenue straight away. So you, I think one of the best things that you'll have to do is understand what your revenue model will be before you launch. Um, so my first six months was that one-off purchase. And then I moved to a SaaS model, which is a monthly subscription. And depending on the needs of the person, there's a couple of different plans. And so I launched um, a SaaS model where you could then um, bring in team members to help you share the load with your Instagram. So as I said before, like as your, as our team or as our users are growing, then I wanted to give them the options that we would grow with them. And so from launching a SaaS to 12, months later, um, we had a million ARR. I want to hear about that transition from, hey, you just pay once and the app is yours to, hey, you got to keep paying us <laughs> every month. Did that go over well with yeah. users? And, and yeah. how much were they paying before and how much are they paying after? Well, when I first launched, it was like $10. And then it was like, hey, instead of loving me once, you have to love me every month. And <laughs> I grandfathered in, <laughs> I grandfathered in everyone that had already done the one-off purchase because they were really important. And I think, um, especially when people are trying to raise or in Silicon Valley um, from the experience they have with working with startups there, they're really engrossed in how much money they can make immediately to get money traction quite quickly. But for me, I saw more value in them, in those people being early adapters. So I just grandfathered all of the people in that had bought the app as a one-off purchase and sent them all a message and said, thank you. Please help me share the word. Um, you're grandfathered in forever. Please send me your feedback, like a very personal message to all of them. And then when I relaunched as the SAS, the people finding my website, they didn't know it was a one-off purchase before. They had no idea. They didn't have to know. So it didn't really know. So, I mean, I'd done some urgency messaging through my email list. And so I got as many people to pay up front as possible before I switched. But it was pretty hard to go from making that much money a month to then, you know, getting $1,000 a month because now everyone was only paying $3 and then Apple take their cut. So it took a while to kind of build up again. And then it just took off, which was amazing. And just like 25% growth every single month hasn't stopped yet. That's absolutely huge. Um Let's talk about your team. You mentioned you've got a team now. You're going to Bali. Mm -hmm. At what point did you make your first hire? <laughs> um, so it was me and a dev team for probably a year and a half. And I started to suffer from burnout pretty badly. And there was one time that, uh, I mean, and this is the part of being a non-technical founder. You don't really understand some of the complexities. You just think that a developer does all the developy things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when I worked myself into an ambulance, it was time to get hired. So I put out virtual assistant calls and obviously I didn't have great amounts of cash. So what I would do is I would hire someone to build out the blog posts and just write the, write the skeleton frames. So it, it basically gave me back some of my time. So most of them were virtual assistants for blog writing, for admin assistant, and um, that was really it to start with. 
We didn't really have any hires for like two years. It seems like we just skipped over a whole story there where you worked yourself into <laughs> an ambulance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the app was doing really well. I just moved it to SaaS product and it was starting to really build. And I think I had like maybe 10,000 people a day in the app by this point. And I, my, my developers had accidentally hard-coded the IP address into the app. So when Amazon servers went down in March last year and then they reset themselves, the IP address no longer matched. So here I had these 10,000 people every day open the app and they just got a black screen and it was oh, horrific. No. So here they are, all these people that I'd been training, you need to use this app every day. It's going to help you grow your Instagram. Suddenly not available. So we got it fixed as quickly as possible. It cost me $5,000 to then find an Amazon specialist to redo my architecture. And then I had to push it through app, <laughs> the Apple store and their review process. So this is a week, right, right, of a black screen of death. Really, really hard lesson to learn about um, being a non-technical founder and needing help. And what had happened is all these people were now like, we can't use the app. So the reputational damage where people, because it's a social product, would jump on social media and be like, oh, I hate this app. It just broke. And I blah, blah, yeah. and like really bag it out. Like that was heartbreaking. And then I got 7,000 emails within a couple of days saying, what's wrong? It's all broken. Jeez. And like I said, it was just me. It was just me at the time. And I was actually away for a wedding. <laughs> so... It just complete overwhelm and I was like, oh my God, everything I've just worked for is down the drain. Do I quit? This is horrible. How do I come back from this? And then I started having these horrendous panic attacks and someone thought I was having a heart attack and called an ambulance. You literally worked yourself into an ambulance. But that's a tough situation to deal yeah, with. I mean, I talk to people who get <laughs> yeah. bent out of shape because they get too bad comments online. They don't have an entire business down for a week with thousands of emails. How do you... How do you psychologically bounce back from that? Um, it took me a while, I'll be honest. So I went, my, I was staying with my little sister and she took me to a Justin Bieber concert. Okay. So just take, take you out of the day-to-day. And my husband would come home from work and he, I, I couldn't, I, physically, I couldn't handle opening the support inbox. So he and the VAs would jump in and they would, they sorted out my entire inbox. So when I'm, I was mentally ready to come back, which took like two weeks, um, everything was clean and I didn't have to deal with most of that. So I was very, very lucky that I had a supportive partner. You know, there are, I think, two schools of thought that I see around working a lot on your business. I and mean, most people, you know, sort of traditionally believe you have to work all day, every day in order to succeed because a startup is just that hard. And then there's, I think, an increasing number of people who say the opposite, that working hard is not only unnecessary, but that it's counterproductive. What do you think about this based on your experiences with plan? Did you have to work as hard as you were? Yes, I did. There's no, I didn't really have another option at the time. And I didn't, I, I wanted to pour everything that I had into it because I knew how many startups failed. It's, such, it's the high 90s. This is how many fail. And even after launch, like you're never really in the clear. So I felt, I felt to me like I'm going to give this everything I've got to make it as successful as possible. And then I probably got a bit obsessive and a bit manic. But had I not have done that, then I wouldn't be where I am now, where I'm able to create that balance and that lifestyle now. So now I go roller skating, I swim all the time, I illustrate again. So those first two and a half, three years of, you know, really getting it out, I don't think I would have changed it, no. And what's what's different now? Because I know a lot of founders who are two or three years in their business and they're very successful and they're still working 80 hours a week. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say I still do 80, but I'm not doing... <laughs> 
I'm not doing 16 hours, seven days a week anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about... I was literally working that much. Yeah, that's an insane workload. I think one of the things that's interesting that you've talked about is how much Plan was growing in the early days, and I assume still is. You're getting thousands of downloads a week here. Why weren't people downloading? Yes, we're acquiring just over 15,000 a week at the moment. Wow. Yeah, that's nuts. That's just an insane amount of growth. Why do people like Plan so much? Why aren't people using your competitors? <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, there was there's some of the traditional Instagram marketing tools. They're really clunky. They don't. I didn't feel, and the reason that I built this because I had a look at them and went, "Yuck! These are these are horrible." I hope they're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're just clunky and old, and they weren't intuitive. And I just felt none of them understood the platform. And I think as soon as you open plan and you get the sense of what it's about and what we're trying to, it becomes very clear the differentiator. Like there's. For example, I saw so many people posting pictures of cocktails late at night in a bar on their Instagram feed and I'd just slap my forehead and be like, what are you doing? Those photos never work and I just wanted to be able to find a way to teach someone this type of photo does not work, please stop posting it. So I created this feature inside Plan where it tells you your best performing color palettes. So it tells you you're based on your engagement rate, your likes or your um, comments that you're getting on these photos combined over like the last 12 pitches, what were the best colour palettes that you used? And like I guarantee 99% of the time that colour palette will not be dark brown or orange. Right. So it shows people either these use the bright lighter colours or maybe the muted colours and then you can then search your competitors and see what colours they're using. And then we try and teach people. So inside the app, you get a message and says, try not to search for your competitors. Find people that share your target audience and your peers. So then you, your mind is open to the possibility. And with those such advanced analytics, you can just optimize and grow so much faster. Yeah, that's, it's cool to hear because I think a lot of people are afraid to enter a market where there are already competitors. They say, oh, I've got an idea. They look out into the world, they see someone's already doing that and they say, oh, it's too late for me. Um, I've got to go work on something else. What gave you the confidence and the launch plan and how do you think about the competition nowadays? Is it still just about the competitor sucking or do you feel like people are copying what you're doing <laughs> you need to defend? Yeah, they, they do copy me now. Like some of them even sign up with their work email address to my email list and I'm like, no, <laughs> really? <laughs> and then when I came out, like I know I'm on their radar, but I just... There's still like 1 billion people on Instagram. The market's so big and none of them are doing it properly. And I still don't feel that they've iterated correctly. So it just gives me more motivation to keep going. What about funding? You mentioned that when you first started, you didn't know anything about the tech industry. You didn't know anything about venture <laughs> capitalists. And so you felt you had to bootstrap. <laughs> At this point, you've got yeah. competitors trying to copy you. You've got 15,000 people joining a week. I'm sure there's a million things on your to-do list. You're still working 80 hours a week. Have you considered raising money or are you going to keep bootstrapping? Um, well, I have I have considered it. So I've got people now. So I I wanted to learn what pitching was like. And as a founder, it was something, like I said, I love learning. So I put myself through night school for a, there's an um, organization in Australia called Elevaco. And it's for female-led tech businesses with mentors that teach you how to pitch and really understand what that process is about. And I was in the top three of my cohort and then got to pitch to a couple of like the um, EYs of the world. 
And that gave me some really great feedback. And that was kind of my open my eyes into what venture capitalists would look like. So I started to meet with a few and I did pitching in real life. And I got a few offers, but the more I thought about it and how fast plan was growing, I was like, do I really need this? Do I really need this? And then I kind of put it on the back back burner again. And I just kept building. I moved to San Francisco for like between last year. I was living over there for six months and then came back and the growth was still happening. So I'm at a point now where angels are reaching out and offering money and I'm working out whether or not that's my next move because to be honest, it's the app's profitable and now it's funding a web app launch. So once that's up, I'm just like, well, do I need it? Right. It's just, it depends on what you want as a founder. Because for me personally, like that freedom, like had I had got investment and said, I'm going to take my team to Bali, I doubt that that would have been a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I think another offer that you've gotten besides just fundraising is an offer to acquire plan and you turned it down. What's yeah, the story there? I did. And so when I was living in San Francisco, I had a company approach me for an acquisition and we had a chat over a few months and I just felt like I hadn't, I hadn't finished. Like, I think it might sound crazy because a lot of people say you need to sell when it's the right time, meaning just before it hits that curve. But I felt like I really, I'd put so much work in and I'd sacrificed so much and I'd been so unwell and here was everything just coming and coming to fruition that if I gave it up, I'd be always thinking, what if? And the web app was, you know, half built at the time. And I just felt like I wasn't ready. And obviously, it wasn't enough money for me to give up all of those dreams. How much money was it? Can you share? Mm, No, (laughs) I can't. But it was, you know, it was a couple of mil and more than that. But yeah, I just, I don't know. It just wasn't, wasn't right. How do you, what goes into making a decision like that? I mean, I assume it's more than just gut feeling. It's, it's, did you spend a lot of time thinking about it or was it like an instant rejection? I spent months, months and months spending talking, like talking through with friends, advisors, family, just talking through what it would look like and um, trying to visualize what my life would look like had I had been acquired and what my life would look like in this other person's company and in their culture instead of the culture I'd built in my team. And was that an environment for me that would work well? It was obviously the money, like being a founder, like a having a founder with a sale under your belt would be a great achievement. But at what price to me wanting to see out my vision? So I just decided to hold. We still keep in touch. It's not as though it was a straight no, but just not right now. Right. So I think one of the coolest parts of your story is that this is really you doing all of this as a first-time tech founder. Do you ever feel like that's a disadvantage? (laughs) And if so, how do you compensate for coming into this with no real experience at all? Well, I compensate by being wildly optimistic. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Obviously. Um, I think one of the benefits to it is that I'm, I don't have preconceived ideas. I don't have no's. I'm just like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And I don't have, I don't have any experience to go on that. Like this, this type of company did that and it didn't work or like, I just don't have any of those roadblocks in my mind. So I'm able to just keep pushing. Do you ever feel like there are things that, you know, you maybe learn later than other more experienced founders learn and that's a disadvantage or things that you don't know that you feel a little imposter syndrome over? 
Um, definitely. Like when I'm asked to speak about being a, a tech founder, I'm like, oh, there's so many people that know more about the tech. But then I'm like, you know what? I've learned so much and I've got to where I am that I am able to have the confidence that I do know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to other people, like when I was in Silicon Valley and, and working and living out of there, the people that I'd meet, I would be able to actually hold proper conversations and give them ideas and hold my own. And I was like, no, I do know what I'm talking about. So it gave me, being around peers gave me, because I was at home in my yoga pants for a lot of the time, gave me the confidence that I really did know what I was talking about. And I had learned that much. Yeah, it's crazy when you're working by yourself. You don't really, it's hard to benchmark yourself against other people. And it's always, it always seems like Mm. they know more because you're looking at the internet where, of course, Everyone's got the answers to everything. They're experts. Yeah. <laughs> well, then you actually talk to yeah. people in person. You're like, oh, it's, it's not so bad. I'm not, you know, I'm, mm. I'm right there with them. Well, sometimes, yeah, sometimes the scary thing can be that a business can only grow as fast as the founder can. And so I did feel like had I, if I did this again, there's so much I would have done so much faster. And I wouldn't have to have researched, you know, how much something like Intercom might cost. Or I wouldn't need to go, okay, in the analytics deck, what on earth is that? <laughs> and what what goes in there mm, like I just would know what products to use now so it's those types of things yes I did have a disadvantage but I got to learn from complete scratch and now I get to mentor other people so mm, I don't know what are some of those things because I'm sure a lot of founders listening in would love to know what they're missing out on right now that you know future them would look back on and say do this differently <laughs> <laughs> hmm well, first of all, the non-technical thing, you really need to have people that can help you with the different pieces. So who does what? Like what's the difference between a back-end and a front-end developer and why you'd choose Vue.js over React? So that's getting pretty nerdy, but it's understanding why your product works how it does and getting the right people to make it. So, for example, my website, because we have so many visitors, it kept crashing and I didn't have enough storage space and I couldn't work out what on earth was going wrong. And now I have a complete DevOps team that live in Canada that have to check in on my website all the time to make sure it's not down and Google's not upset that it's going down and de-ranking my search uh, listing. So that's one thing I would have done differently is understand that more about what the developers do faster and then a website you don't just grow traffic and it just works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's like an entire maintenance piece there. Being consistent and being just can keep putting your feet in front of each other because when you look back, you realize just how far you've gone. What are some of the things that you've tried in the course of building and growing plan that haven't worked like you thought they would? Or has everything just been smooth sailing? No, it's definitely not been smooth sailing. There's always, if I think there's, if there's not seven buyers burning your business, then you're not close enough. There was, there was one thing I tried to do to make more cash because I needed more money to get better staff. So what I was doing was, yes, I had VAs, but they were just writing the skeleton and then I'd have to go in and write the entire blog post. So I couldn't afford a copywriter. So I was like, okay, I need to find a way to make more money faster to build my team. So I created a side service with a retoucher in Russia where people would send me like 30 images for their Instagram and he would professionally retouch it and send it back. And then someone would have an entire month's worth of content. And it sounds like a great idea, but the market that I had uh, didn't want to pay for it. And it became very manual and I had to do so much customer support back and forward because when someone says, I want blue tones, it's so subjective. So that in itself is a product in itself. So trying to do two products at once didn't work. And that's when I was like, okay, no, Christy, you actually really need to focus. And I just abandoned that, still sitting somewhere on my website, hidden, (laughs) and just focus. And that was kind of what taught me just 
it's, even if it's going to be a bit slower, just keep going this way. What about the flip side of things? What are some things that you've tried to do to help you grow a plan that have ended up working really well? Yeah, so after I had taught myself the SEO and our website was starting to build, I also learned in that process that people were searching about Instagram very regularly and it was a very hot topic. And my audience, most of them have blogs and I knew that about them because of doing the personas and everyone needs traffic to their website. So I went out with an email that said, hey guys, I know how you can get traffic. Here's a trendy topic. Here's the title. Here's the meta tags for your images. And here's some rich imagery that you can use. Go. And by them telling their audience how, how they built their Instagram feed and the filters they use created 1,500 backlinks for me in the first six months, wow. which pushed me to number one in search for Google. It's remarkable to me how consistent this is with your story that you sort of bootstrapped every process by figuring out how you could help people accomplish their goals as much as you possibly could. It was very, exactly. very selfless. It was, it was what other people need. How do I help them get what they're trying to get? Yeah, so it's always intrinsically about helping and making other people be successful. And that's what's been driving the whole product. What do you think is is your favorite part of running Plan as a founder? Because I'm an inventor and I'm an artist, I get to have a product that I've personally designed in the hands of that many people. And it's helping, you know, over, we should be at a million by the end of the year. And I get to help that many people build their own freedom like I have. And that's, and then I also get to hire creative people to to have freedom in their own life. So, for example, the, the people that I hire, I, I say work from home some days or if you work to your own rhythm and you work like me at five in the morning, then go home at night and have the days off. Or if you were to work in the weekend, take Friday. So I'm able to give that freedom to other people like me yeah. that I wish that I had. Yeah, I bet that feels yeah. good. Yeah, it's really nice. I'm curious about your plans for the future plan. I mean, you've got... <laughs> hundreds of thousands of customers going on a million, you're generating tons of revenue. Where do you go from here and how do you get there? So I'm launching my web app very, very soon. And I think with a product that's in tech that's also latched onto social media, your product roadmap can't really be any longer than six months because it changes so quickly. And I have my ideas of where plans going. I could love to build in some AI. I'm working with a data scientist at the moment about how we can work on particular scatters to get people more of the help they need. And eventually I'd like it to not be just Instagram and have it more of a, a strategic coach for marketers so that you don't need a graphic designer or a social media manager, it, this, my product should take over all of that. So like, ideally, like, I'd love to go run in that direction. But time will tell. Yeah, that's a lot. And it's, it's funny because you said you can't really plan more than six months ahead in advance. That makes it really challenging because you probably have 100 different ideas for things you want to work yes. on. <laughs> How do you prioritize? How do yes. you know which one's the right one? Which one should wait? And for me, it's a little bit easy. Cause it's like, what do my people need? What are they telling us that they need? listening to their feedback and understanding where in our product they're having the most trouble with or what that's what their challenges are on Instagram. So one of the questions I'll ask is what is your purpose on Instagram and what is your biggest roadblock to getting there? And then I spend a lot of time coming up with creative ways to solve that problem because what when they ask for something, it's usually not what they actually mean. I think that's great. A lot of founders don't understand that your customers aren't expert product designers. They're not going to do the research. They're not going to figure out what the features should be. It's up to you to put in that work and to find out exactly what their goals are and what their obstacles are. Yeah. And then how can, and then I'll, usually I'll go back to them with like four options and be like, would any of these solve it? And that's when I work out how to keep going forward. What's your advice, Christy, for other first-time founders out there or for people who are maybe just thinking about starting a business? What can they learn from your story and your experiences? 
Ooh, do it. <laughs> I think that uh, I would recommend just getting out there and telling everyone what you want to do because the more you talk about what you're working on and the problems you solve, the more people that you draw into your life that can help you and will be your cheerleaders. So when you do launch, everyone that you know that love and cherish you will talk about it on your behalf. So the biggest thing for me is that you don't know who's going to come into your life because the magic happens when you leave your house or when you talk about it. So for me personally, I'd be, you know, working from my yoga pants in my spare room, but it wasn't until that I went to night school and started going to meetups that I met, for example, one of my first mentors who was uh, lived in Silicon Valley and she invited me to live with her for free for three months. And that's how I got my foot in the door to then go and experience Silicon Valley. So you never know what's possible. Had I have thought that my life would be this while I was two years ago sitting typing away at my corporate desk job, I I couldn't even imagine what my life would be like now. So my biggest thing is just go. I still can't get over the fact that it's, it's only been two years. I mean, that's such a blazingly fast amount of time. You mentioned earlier that you also are a mentor yourself and that you mentor other startup founders. Yeah. What kinds of advice do you find yourself repeating often and what do you think people need to hear? Repeating very, very often is will the people pay for your solution? So understanding if the problem that you're solving people will pay for is literally like I just repeated that three times then, but like it's literally the first thing that comes to mind. Having your revenue model sorted out and knowing that it is fluid and it can be changed, but people a lot of the time just think, and in Silicon Valley, again, it's, you know, unicorn or bus, get as many users as possible. But I think for here in Australia, we are more pushed towards starting to make revenue quicker. Right. So there's a lot of that. And then for me, for me personally, because I'm so visual, I, I, there's no excuse for something to, to look bad and not function well. Okay, so to summarize everything, number one, get out there and do it. Don't be afraid to tell people what you're working on and share your ideas. Make sure you're solving a problem that's valuable enough for people to pay for. Mm-hmm. And make sure you actually have a business model. So when people want to pay you, they can. Yes. That's all great advice. Thank you so much, Christy, for coming on the show and sharing your story. Can you tell listeners where they can go to learn more about Plan and also what's going on in your personal life? Definitely. So uh, we post three blog posts a week that will really help you grow your Instagram with really tangible tips. And that's at planthat.com. And then on Instagram, we're also at Plan That, where we do heaps of mini tutorials and lots of great coaching over there. And me personally on Instagram is Christy Lady Lawrence. All right, Christy. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you want a really easy way to support the podcast, why don't you head over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating or even a review? If you're looking for an easy way to get there, just go to ndhackers.com slash review, and that should open up iTunes on your computer. I read pretty much all the reviews that you guys leave over there, and it really helps other people to discover the show, so your support is very much appreciated. In addition, if you are running your own internet business, or if that's something you hope to do someday, you should join me and a whole bunch of other founders on the ndhackers.com website. It's a great place to get feedback on pretty much any problem or question that you might have while running your business. If you listen to the show, you know that I am a huge proponent of getting help from other founders rather than trying to build your business all by yourself. So you'll see me on the forum for sure, as well as more than a handful of some of the guests that I've had on the podcast. If you're looking for inspiration, we've also got a huge directory full of hundreds of products built by other indie hackers, every one of which includes revenue numbers and some of the behind the scenes strategies for how they grew their products from nothing. As always, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time. 